Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today's message is continuing in the vein of our study on what it means to be a true disciple. We will encounter what is perhaps the most crucial issue when it comes to identifying true discipleship of Jesus. And it's not overstating it at all to say that this issue is one of eternal significance. Thanks for joining us as we examine Jesus' command from John chapter 15 to remain in me. When I was a missionary, I worked for uh, five of my years in the Caribbean with teenagers, and it was at a, it was a Christian high school. Uh, one of the endeavors that uh, I decided would have been important for us to focus on is uh, giving back to the community, because if we are Christians, they should know that we are Christians by not our lording it over them, or this idea that we're somehow superior because we're not, rather to serve the community. And so I organized this day so that all of those high school kids would put on these uh, special t-shirts that showed that we were servants and walk down through the uh, highways and byways with trash bags, picking up the trash, just like prisoners do. (laughs) And these children loved it and sang my praises the whole day long. (laughs) No, not at all. That's not what high schoolers do. Uh, they, would, they would hide from me is what they would do as I would make my way down the road. And then if they couldn't avoid me, they would take some trash out of their bag and throw it on the ground so it would look like they were picking more up, right? Because they got, you know, got to look, like you look like you're busy is what you got to do. And, um, you know, I thought... You know, I probably wasn't so different when I was in high school. I was remembering back one of the jobs that I had was working at the Florence uh, County Road Commission office. And uh, boy, if you were if you had free time, they would find a job for you. Let me just tell you that. Right. So you wanted to always be looking busy. And so I'd I'd find on the workbench a couple of tools and, you know, I'd be I'd see my boss walking by and I really look hard at him, you know, trying to. Make it look like I was doing something the whole time, right? Because if they knew you weren't busy, uh, they'd find something for you to do. Well, I thought of this this week. Um, My wife went to North Carolina, and on her way down driving to the airport, she encountered this sign. It said, uh, Jesus is coming. You better look busy. See you at Mass on Sunday. Ah, wow. This this message is is one of the most uh, dangerous messages that you could ever give to a Christian. Um, Do you notice there is a big difference between being busy and looking busy? I think I know what they meant to say, right? But whoa, very careful here, because if all we're doing is putting on a show for somebody, if all we're doing is pretending like you've seen other Christians do, because it's easy to dress up and play church. You all understand this, right? It's easy thing to do. It proves that there is a difference between a true disciple and a false disciple. And if all that means for you is that oh, Jesus is returning, I better, you know, I better look like I'm doing something here. Um, I want you to know that uh, there are people who die and go to hell every day. You won't hear that message in a lot of churches, but I'm going to shoot straight with you from what God's word says. That people die in their sins every day looking Busy for God. There was this one disciple, in fact, who was following after Jesus. He was one of the twelve, in fact. 
And he had some high responsibilities in his time. They, they put this fellow in charge of the finances of the group. He followed Jesus all the way up until he was arrested. What was this guy's name? Do you guys remember? Remember Judas? Now you can look at the twelve, right? There was Judas right there. He was a follower of Jesus Christ. Was he busy serving God's will or was he looking busy serving really his own will? This right here, church, this is so dangerous. And so we're in this series on discipleship. In this second installment, we're going to continue in John. John chapter 15. I'd invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles with me uh, to John 15. And what we're going to see, what we're going to see is, I, I believe, uh, in the top five most important messages that I can give. When it comes to the church today, it is so easy to look busy and really be a false disciple. So I've entitled this message, Remaining in Him, which is going to be the primary theme that we're going to um, encounter today. Um, As we do, and as you're turning there to John 15, uh, we need to actually build a little context first. So John 15 is where we're going to be, but I I need to let you know what's happening here. So turn back to chapter 13. I'm going to read just a few verses, because if you'll remember, I think I told you last week, Jesus had just announced that he's leaving his disciples. And they are extremely nervous about this. As a reminder in the command from last week was, if you love me, you will... Oh, quiz on Sunday. What what was it again? Uh, If you love me, you will obey me. Right? That, That was the message that again and again we saw in chapter 14. But just before this, in chapter 13, something happens with the disciples that particularly crafts how we will understand Chapter 15, where we are today. So in 13, I'd like to draw your attention over to, we'll start in verse uh, 22. John 13, 22. 21, I got to go back one more. John uh, 13, 21. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple, said, Ask him which one he means. So leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one whom I give this piece of bread when I dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus had said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to go buy what was needed for the feast. Or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went up. And it was night. All right. That's the setting. This is, if you, can, if you can imagine, Jesus knows what's going to happen. Jesus is not limited with respect to his knowledge. He understands, in fact, all along knowing that this would be the case. But here in that moment, even you can see being troubled in his spirit, confessing there to the disciples, one of you guys, it's going to be one of you. And sure enough, as clear as it could be, you know, sometimes we don't see things, right? Did you catch that? Uh, John here is writing, well, he kept the money, and so some people thought he was just going to go out and give money to the poor. I want to be like, yeah, John, you thought that. That's why you recorded that. 
They didn't really see it. But Judas is now gone. It's Jesus left with the 11. I want you to catch that, all right? Because that will completely change how we understand chapter 15 with what Jesus is saying in 15. So with that as a backdrop, here is our primary passage. Move forward to chapter 15. We're going to read through verses 1 through 11, and then we're going to work through some observations. So here we go. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands... You will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remained in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. All right, here we go. Uh, Discipleship 101 is our theme. How can we actually be better followers of Jesus? The issue at hand right now is the difference between a true disciple and a fake disciple, a false disciple. And I want you to see a few observations. The first one is that Jesus himself is the true vine. The vine metaphor is one within the the Jewish people that has been used in a variety of ways. Sometimes in reference to the king, sometimes in reference to the nation as a whole. But predominantly for the Israelites, they believe that they they were good with God. But I'm on good speaking terms with God primarily because I come from Father Abraham. That that was the way they thought about it. Their righteousness before God was one of following in the commandments and covenants that God has given them. And Gentiles are excluded, but we Jewish people, we, we are of the people of God. Because they thought the vine was through Abraham. Jesus is challenging that right here. He says... I am the true vine. I want you to see, uh, he doesn't say there aren't other ones. You, you, you can try to attach yourself to any other vine, but guess what? If it's not true, what is it? It's a, it's a, it's a false vine. Um, a lot of people in our world today are not comfortable with the exclusivity of Jesus. Uh, Jesus knows this routinely through the Gospels. You will hear him um, have to deal with almost saying things that turn people away because they're so offensive. And that's intentional on his part. To make sure that if you're a follower, hear me now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, 
you got to know what you're signing up for. There's only one true vine. Jesus says, I am that true vine. The next thing he says here is a mention of the Father. In verse 2, he begins to talk about two different aspects that the Father does. Uh, the Father is the gardener. And in verse 2, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So two things the gardener is doing. The Father, in both instances, is cutting, right? In one aspect, he's cutting off those branches that have no fruit because they don't serve the purpose of the vine. Now, I, I don't have time to just really go down the road here of dealing with the subject that some people will read here and think, is this saying that I could lose my salvation? Because the Bible here says that he cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit. Doesn't that mean that you could be a Christian and then lose it? And I want you to know that is not at all what is in John's mind for this. As John is recording Jesus' words, John is writing to an audience that is continually dealing with the danger of false teachers, false apostles, false disciples, which is why he begins recording Jesus' words here as, I am the true vine. It is not a question of you or I ever being able to lose what God has given to Jesus. And uh, again, just for time, there's so many verses throughout John that teach the opposite of that. That's not what's on trial here. Not can you lose or keep your salvation. It's not a question of that. It's a question of do you ever have it to begin with? Or are you just playing like you do? Judas was, I'm going to use quotes here, air quotes. Judas was in Jesus. Judas was one of the twelve. He was right there. But what can you say of the fruit of Judas's life? What do you think? Following after Judas's will or God's will? Everybody with me here this morning? Again, we could really unpack that, and I'm confident to show you the verses that say this, specifically also in First and Second and Third John, as John continues to develop this idea that, look, church, you've got to be careful that you are not a playing Christian, that you're not just a cultural Christian, that you're not just looking busy. That's John's continual issue here. So uh, that's what he's talking about by these branches that bear no fruit. What they're really proving is that they have no connection to the vine. And so what does the father do in that case? Cuts them off. All right. Father's cutting another group of branches now. Because what does a good uh, vine dresser do? What, and by the way, we're talking about a uh, like a... Um, Grapes is, is the idea here, like, like a vine with grapes that produce fruit. That would have been the exact image. I couldn't find any of those, for some, so I had to bring this in. But that, that's predominantly the issue he's talking about here. Um, that the, the shoot of the true vine, right, is where the source of strength in life comes. And if you're not connected to that, it will be proven by the fact you don't produce any fruit. But the vine dresser knows that if I prune the others, what will they do? What will be the result of pruning away kind of the other pieces from the others, they will produce what? Even more fruit. And so here's what Jesus is talking about. And this is where I want to take you. That this issue is is the main issue. Bearing fruit is the primary issue in recognizing a true and a false disciple. I can't shoot it any straighter with you than that. Bearing fruit is the primary issue of identifying whether you are a false disciple or a true disciple. And Jesus here is saying that my father, 
Our Heavenly Father is in the business of preparing the church to deal with two different things. Traitors and trials. Did you ever go through a hardship? Ever go through a hard time and wonder, gee, why is this happening to me? I wish this was happening to somebody else. Why? I don't know why this is happening right now. Um, let me ask you a question here. Show of hands. Um, your relationship with God is closer in the midst of a trial. Anybody? Yeah. Um, show of hands. Uh, your relationship with God is closer when there's no trial. Just a couple hands. Yeah. Um, predominantly the experience in the church is that when life is hard, you seek God more. That tends to be the experience. That when you go through a hardship, this is the time when you're praying more. This is the time where you're reading God's word more. The Father knows this. I want you to make sure you lock this down. God does not make mistakes in our lives. We make the mistakes. He allows certain ones to happen and prevents others. Because when bad things happen to Christians, they are done to the glory of God. That we will be grown. That we will be pruned in a few areas such that we will produce what? More fruit. Jesus here is helping the church know and John's recording it so that you will be prepared to know how to handle trials in life. But he also wants you to be prepared to face traitors. Uh, Judas here would be the ultimate traitor. But a traitor to the body of Christ is anyone who does not fully follow Jesus. This is a tough message this morning. I, I hope you're hearing this with a, a measure of grace. But I want you to know, it is an impossibility for you to say, I'm following Jesus with this foot. And I'm going to do what I want with this foot. Uh, we were fishing the other day. And if you stand on the boat with one foot on the boat and one foot on the dock, what's going to happen to you? You're going to get wet. So what's going to happen to you. Right. Uh, there's no version of Christianity that permits the follower of Jesus Christ to pretend like I'm facing the direction of following Jesus while holding hands with the world. If you're a friend with the world, James tells us that you are an enemy with God. For there is no union or fellowship between darkness and light. It's a tough teaching, but i got to, again, just shoot very straight with you. This is the issue of discipleship. We need to be prepared to know that traitors exist in our world today. Perhaps in our churches. I, I can't deal with the whole church. I can preach to you as an individual and ask the Spirit to work through you to ask the question, boy, where do I fall on that? If I was there, would I have left that night? Would Jesus have handed me the bread? And I'd said, yeah, give me that bread. I know where I'm going after this. You remember, Judas didn't just betray Jesus for fun. You remember that? What, what did the Pharisees and religious leaders have to do to sweeten the deal for Judas? Yeah, a, a little bit of human greed had to be sweetened with that, right? Because Judas knew, yeah, all right, I'm not going to turn my back on this guy right now, but I've had a, I'm fed up with the preaching about dying. We need to get the Messiahship on the road the way I want it to go, and my will is going to really be influenced by my desire to get a little more cash in the bag. Yeah. Boy, am I like that? Would I, would I stay with Jesus? Would I be willing to be accused along with Jesus? The issue here is bearing fruit. Um. False disciples in our world today are characterized by our world today. You'll hear people say, well, I mean, it's not so important to follow Jesus that you have to, you know, make them, make them more important than your family. 
Right? I, I mean, surely God's not going to make me put Jesus ahead of my family. Look at Jesus' words. If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person, what's it say? Cannot be my disciple. I think a lot of people, we really get Jesus wrong. For the majority of people outside of the faith, I hear that they, they really love Jesus. Jesus loves everyone. Jesus loves everyone. It's some Christians that I can't stand. Hypocrites is what they are, right? But they love Jesus. And I want to say, I don't know if you're really reading Jesus. You ought to look and examine some of the things that Jesus has said. Well, sure, yeah, surely God wouldn't expect me to wear my faith in public, right? Just on Sunday. Well, surely he doesn't expect me to uh, be a Christian before people. You know, that's, I don't want to push my faith on them or anything. Look what Jesus says. If anyone is ashamed of me, And my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Or again, to characterize a false disciple, you will hear things like, well, surely Jesus doesn't expect you to believe in him only to get to heaven. I mean, there's got to be a lot of ways to get to heaven. Remember, God is a God of love. It can't just be only through Jesus. Again, Jesus' words. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. Just letting that sit for a minute. We need to make sure that as disciples, we're on board with Jesus because either we are or we're not. And the primary issue of identifying, am I a follower, am I not, is the issue of bearing fruit. All right, thirdly, Jesus is, this is kind of cool now, Jesus' intention is to work his will in the world through you. This actually shocked me a little bit when I read this in the text. Uh, In verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. This, this is an important one, you guys. I think a lot of times in the Christian life, we think that if we pray to God, God's just going to do his thing, right? Like, you, you, Lord, I'm praying for this thing to happen, and go ahead and make it happen. There's a really great song out um, that I'm forgetting the lyrics to now that I brought it up, but... Um, says something to the effect of, uh, that's why I created you. Remember that lyric at all? If you listen to Christian radio, he says, I looked around and I saw all these terrible things happening in our world today, right? I saw sick, I saw poor, I saw the hurting. God, why don't you do something? And the chorus says, I did. I I made you to be there. It's from Matthew West. Thank you, Penny. Uh, That's this idea. Uh, His plan is to work his will in this world, not by this hocus-pocus genie fairy dust that God's going to do because we're praying. When you pray to God for change, he's going to start it right here so that you go be his change in the world, which is awesome. It means that if you stay connected to the vine, you will bear much fruit. God's desire is to work through us such that his kingdom unfolds in this world. Continue with me, verse 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. 
the will of God that we pray for every Sunday morning. What do we pray? Thy will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Do you know the implication of that? It's that you will carry out his will. Because God's desire is to make changes and his kingdom to pour forth through our connection with the vine. It's, don't, don't be confused on this. It's not a matter of your effort. It's a source of God's grace, grace worked through you. But that's his desire. In fact, if you remember the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, um, the disciples go to Jesus and they say, Hey, boss, we got to send these guys away. Uh, it's, it's getting late. They're getting hungry. We ain't got enough food. And Jesus says, Show me what you have. I'm kind of paraphrasing if you haven't been able to tell. Um, he brings, uh, they bring uh, two fishes and five loaves. Jesus takes it, gives thanks to God for it, and then Jesus passes it out. Is that what happened? Did Jesus pass it out? That's not what happened in the story. Jesus gave thanks for what they had, and then Jesus hands it back to them. You guys pass it out. The the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 was something that was accomplished by Jesus' design through those who had faith to believe in him. The disciples were the ones who helped unfold that miracle. And this is exactly God's will for each of us. That you bear the fruit of the wonders that the world can't explain in this world. Of changed lives. Of having joy where there ought to be hate. Of having forgiveness where there ought to be bitterness. No man can do that on earth. But you can do that through him. Everybody with me on this? Got this one? This is a huge one. This is awesome. Alright, last one. Number four. Um, a disciple's purpose is to bring glory to God. If you look with me into verse 8, or start back in 7, he says, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. Remember, those aren't your words of asking. Those are his words in you that he will respond to give whatever you wish because they come from him. But look at verse 8. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. To glorify God as a disciple is to ask for what God wants. Anyone here guilty of asking for what they want rather than what God wants? Uh, Derek didn't know that that was exactly the message uh, that I'd be given this morning about Gethsemane where Jesus says, Thy will be done. This is the exact, this is the exact line, center of the road, for what it means to be a disciple. I'm asking for not what I want. I'm asking for what would rather glorify God. Um, if, if my wife and I are going to have a movie night and I know the particular will of my wife for what she would want to watch versus what I would want to watch, which of these two do you suppose she would choose? <laughs> Probably pitch perfect. This is a musical, by the way. It kind of looks a little scary. If this was too hard, how about this one? Who, who can tell which one of these glorifies Ryan and which one uh, honors uh, my wife's will, right? This is Jesus. Jesus saying, ask whatever you wish. According to his will. Because what does that do? It brings God glory. Yeah, you, you and I, we would, we would many times want things that are different from what God wants. Uh, but a disciple's purpose is to seek out bringing glory to God, not glory to ourselves. So here, let me give you the conclusion of all this. Ready? Here we go. The key to true discipleship is bearing fruit. And the key to bearing fruit is remaining in Jesus. I skipped over the, the command in verse 4, but now I'm going to hit it, right? Because this is the key. 
if you are going to be a true disciple, it will be evidenced by your remaining in him. This word remain in the Greek is a word that very simply just means you stay. You're sticking around. You're continuing to carry the faith even amidst the persecution, even amidst the accusations that would come from the world, or even the inward struggle you're saying, I'm not going to turn my back on Jesus. I will stay. That's what the word here means, to remain. And if you do remain, the result will be you will bear what? You will bear much fruit. So I brought this in as a bit of a, an illustration this morning to depict the passage, because I want you to see really what Jesus is saying as clearly as possible. I don't want anyone to leave here without understanding, right? The Father's job is to take branches that aren't, aren't doing anything here. And what's he do with these branches? Yeah, no, no fruit on these. When I, was in, um, when I was in high school, I worked over in um, Niagara. They, have a, they have, had a, a Christmas tree farm over there. And so this is the only fruit tree I could find that we you know, use up here in the UP. Um, but we would fertilize around the tree and we'd trim the trees, right? But some of these other branches, what, what do you see on them? Any fruit on these? No. Nothing there. The text says what? The Heavenly Father, who's the vine dresser, he takes them, cuts them, throws them in a pile to be what? Burned. Burned. Because what are they? True branches or false branches? There, there, there is no life stemming to them that comes from here, they're only playing like there is. And so the result, we got to get rid of them. For the health of the whole, we get rid of those that do not belong. And then he says, for the others, let me, let me trim here, trim here, and trim there. Because it's going to bear more fruit. And this is what we would do. We, we would uh, hack the sides of these Christmas trees. We would trim them because it would make them just beautiful points. Because the trees themselves are more wild and they want to grow like this. But when we pruned them, the, the fruit that we were pruning for was that shape of the Christmas tree. However, I want you to remember this one thing that Jesus said. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But if you do not remain in me, you like a branch that's broken off. Let me ask you the question. This branch right here, can it continue to bear fruit? No. What do you mean? Right there. Are you sure? Can't bear fruit? Because it's not connected to the what? Not connected to the source. The key to true discipleship is bearing fruit. And the key to bearing fruit... Oh, this, one, this ain't going to work, huh? Do you have any tape? Any glue? What's the key to bearing fruit? Remaining in Him. Remaining in Jesus. That's the key to it. So I think I fully convinced you that that's, that's what we need to be doing. So now let me see if I can help you to know how to do that. This is how I want to end the message. All right, I get it, Pastor. I need to, I need to be a true disciple. I need to remain in him. Help me do that. How do I do that? I'm going to give you three steps for how you and I remain in the vine such that we will bear fruit. First of all, and this is a big one, you stop calling the shots. I want you to think back to chapter 13. Do you remember that story with Judas there in the upper room? Do you remember Jesus says, it's the one that I dip in and, and he takes the bread from me? Uh, tur turn back there real quick. Just flip one page back. I want you to see this. The primary issue here is that you stop calling the shots, with me, which means truth isn't what you say it is. Truth is what God says it is. Chapter 13, Jesus says to him in verse 27, 
what you are about to do. Do quickly. For Judas, who is calling the shots? Notice, Jesus isn't the one that says, hey, betray me, would ya? Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, what you have chosen to do, get it done quickly. Who was calling the shots for Judas? Judas was calling the shots. He wasn't willing to listen to Jesus' words. He didn't want to hear the message that he was laying forth. In fact, I find that the, a metaphor easy enough for this is what a lot of us do during football season. Any of, any of you here like to call the shots for your favorite team sitting on the couch? Yeah, let me call the shots. Let, let me ask you this. What if you were down on the field? Let, let, yeah, what if suddenly you were off the couch, snapping your finger, now you're on the field? How confident are you now to call them shots? You were so confident before all of a sudden. You, you, you see, there is, a, there is a primary difference between somebody sitting in the stands, wearing the colors, but I ain't really playing the game. I, I'm calling the shots the way I want to call them, versus somebody who's in the game. Because if you're in the game, who are you listening to? The coach. If, if I'm playing in the game, I'm not calling the shots. I, I, it's, it's so easy for us to do. Sit and kick back with the remote. Oh, geez, you should have called an audible there. Or, you know, that's what we can do when we're not part of the team, when we're not in the game. Jesus didn't call you to be fans of him, to sit on the sidelines. He called you to get in the game. And if you are, you stop calling the shots. Um, this, this is throughout the scriptures. Uh, a quote here from A.W. Tozer. He says, if Jesus is not controlling all of me, the chances are very good that he's not controlling any of me. He says again, if Christ cannot be Lord of all, he will not be Lord at all. I want you to know that when it comes to discipleship, there is no version that says, Jesus is my Savior, but I am really going to obey him. He's not really my Lord, but he's my Savior. The Bible knows nothing of that kind of disciple. That is a false disciple. Jesus says, what happens to these false branches? They're cut off, bundled up, burned in the fire. If you're a true disciple, you don't call the shots anymore. You don't say what truth is. You listen to what God says. All right, there you go. Step number one, we got to stop calling the shots. Number two, we must obey the Spirit. Who was Judas obeying when he left? Yeah, remember? The, the, the devil entered him at that moment. He's not listening to the Spirit of God. He's following after those deep-seated desires of human nature for greed, being tempted and influenced by the devil in him. He's not obeying God. I want you to know, as a point of review from our last Sunday, obedience is so important to this. If you want to be a true disciple, number one, stop calling the shots. Number two, start obeying him. Look how Jesus characterizes this through the Gospels. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Because that's what it means to call Jesus Lord. It means you're actually doing what he says. If you didn't catch it here in Matthew, he says it in Luke. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Do you see obedience again, the issue here? Finally, one last one, John 8, to the... To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Not if you're Jews, you're really my disciples. If you're from Abraham, you're really my disciples. No, if you hold to my teachings, 
That proves you're really my disciple. If you look back in John chapter 15, you'll see this is the exact issue in verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Fruit bearing being the issue as a correspondence of obedience. Number one, stop playing like you know the truth. You don't, you don't call the shots anymore. Boy, I could take a lot. I got I to gotta share a quick story. When I was in college, I was just struggling with the idea of the American dream. And I remember God just humbling me through some circumstances that led me to the mission field in Mexico. And there on the top of a hill, I just remember the Lord speaking to me a sense of urgency that there are so many who do not know the Lord. And I only get one day today. I don't know if I'll be alive tomorrow. And that dual concept of me being convicted to say, there are people who are going to hell that don't know the love of Christ. And I have today made me think, boy, I better do something about it. And I took out my Bible that next day, and I wrote right in the cover. I don't know if I've showed you this before. It says, wherever, whenever, whatever. That became the creed calling of my life. Not, not Ryan calling the shots anymore. Not me making the decisions to say, yeah, let me tell you where we're going to go today, God. But me saying, whatever you decide is where I will go. You want to be a follower? You want to be a true disciple? We stop calling the shots. Secondly, we obey the Spirit. And lastly, this is the important one now. We must practice community-guided and truth-focused course correction. If I, if I said only those who don't have any sin can come to church this week, who would be here? Just Helen, I think. I'd, yeah, I'd let see probably. <laughs> None of us would be here. Here's what this means. It means that in the temptations of life, you and I are going to drift off course. This is what will happen to you. Do you know what that means for you is? We need continual course correction in life. Do you know where you find course correction in life? It's right here. It's in the community. The, the, the very end of 13 that we read, what did the last thing uh, John tell us about Judas? What did he do? The very last thing it says about Judas is that he what? He left. Judas is gone. You, you answer this to me. How well do you think Judas is going to be able to course correct now? That he left all of the teachings of God and he left the disciples. Not well at all. We need the community. You, you're, you're with me on this, right? We need the truth. This is why we help one another. This is why we come to church. You don't come to church to get holy. You come to church so that your life experience can rub off on those next to you. And you can be influenced and changed according to our mutual submission to God's truth. But if you, if you stop coming, if you think that church for you is something that you can have um, out in the woods, be honest with me. I've heard this before. If you think that, You are fooling yourself thinking that you will avoid doing what is so necessary for that course correction. Because you're on your own now. Do you remember that show a while back, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? You guys remember that? Yeah. Let me ask a couple questions here. Who was the third president of the United States? Here's your options. Thomas Jefferson, Samuel Adams, Benjamin Quincy Jr., or John Adams. Everybody got an answer? Ready? Answer is... Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. This ain't even a real person. I made that name up. (laughs) How about this one? How far away is the sun? 186,282,000 miles, 300,000 kilometers, 93 million miles, or 289 million miles? Any any idea? The answer is 
Yeah, some of you are both smart as fifth grade, right? Yeah, how about this? Can you solve for X? Yeah, I got you there, didn't I? Why are you having trouble with some of these? Some of you having trouble. Why are you having trouble? Do you know why? Because you left fifth grade. That's why. If you were still there, you would still be growing. If you were still there, you'd still be learning. I cannot emphasize this enough to you. The whole reason the Father does this work is for the health of his people. And as we are pruned, we help sharpen everyone else to make the whole better that the kingdom of God is manifest in our lives. I want to share with you one more time. Here's the key. To be a true disciple means to bear fruit. And to bear fruit means to remain in him.